everybody, and welcome to the Sin Essential Podcast. My name is John Gilpatrick. Joining me, as always, is our fearless leader, Aaron Pinkston. Aaron, what's going on? Hey, not much. Uh, I got some chicken salad sandwiches and some corn <laughs> on the cob. I'm ready for a nice summer movie here that we're going to be talking about today. Yeah. I uh, have a little picnic. I'm not sure what it's like in Chicago, but here on the East Coast, uh, we are roasting, which feels appropriate considering the film we're going to talk about. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, also joining us, Sarah Gore. Sarah, what's going on? Not a whole lot. Just looking uh, like a beautiful Botticelli's angel over here. Of course. And Alex Moore. Alex, what's up? Not too much. Ready to be... Uh... Be mysterious. So. Indeed, and uh, this is uh, this is your week. You're driving us. Um, we're gonna be talking about Peter Weir's 1975 film Picnic at Hanging Rock. Uh, I'm assuming our first Australian movie on the podcast, right? Certainly on the podcast on the website. Must be. Um, I would, yeah, I would imagine so. I would think so as well. Um, so we just write for it. We don't know. We don't know. No, nobody knows well, here. <laughs> we're getting to the point where I'm going to start forgetting that we covered something, and we'll, we'll have we may have an accidental redo at some point. That would be unique. Uh, that'd be fun. Uh, maybe we'll do Beauty and the Beast. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Uh, <laughs> I teed you guys up for that one. <laughs> yeah, haven't seen it, but. Maybe coming soon. Uh, anyway, Picnic at Hang Rock, if you're unfamiliar, um, is, uh, like I said, 1975 film. It's based on a 1967 novel by Joan Lindsay. And it's about a uh, group of women in living in Australia in 1900 who sort of uh, experience this odd occurrence where some of them disappear at this rock formation and the rest are puzzled as to what happened, as is the town they live in. Um, let's talk about sort of our relationship to the film. Alex, like I said, you are leading us this week. Do you want to discuss sort of why you chose this movie and, and what you think of it generally? Sure. Uh, so I actually just saw this movie for the first time like a month ago. I oh. was just sitting around looking for a movie to watch and someone was like, why don't you watch this? So I did and I really enjoyed it. Um, and so I thought, you know, it'd be fun to talk about it, um, partially because I didn't really get what I mean, I got what was going on, but I thought it'd be interesting to, you know, get people's take on it because it's kind of, it's almost like a, I don't know, it's so mysterious that you can take all sorts of interpretations out of it. So I thought it'd be fun to to discuss and, and see. And, you know, for me, it's just, it's such an enigmatic movie from start to finish that I, I, I just really kind of fell in love with it because, you know, enigma can be done well, it can be done poorly. And in this case, it's done really, really well, I think. So, yeah, I, I concur. I've seen it now two or three times. Uh, I picked it up as a blind buy from a Criterion sale once upon a time and uh, haven't looked back. I've enjoyed it every time I've watched it, and even though I'm kind of in the same camp as you, it's just like, I don't really know what I think of it. Like, I really like it. It interests me. It kind of sticks with me whenever I watch it, but uh, it's hard to sort of put my thoughts into words, which is going to make a podcast about it kind of interesting. Uh, (laughs) But I'm happy there's four of us to uh, help each other through it. Aaron, um, kind of where are you coming at uh, Picnic at Hanging Rock from? Well, first, I I swear it is totally a coincidence that it seems like the only movies we talk about on these podcasts are movies that are been released by the Criterion Collection. Yeah, yeah, it's it is. Uh, it's a coincidence. There, there have been some that have uh, ended up on the cutting room floor for various reasons that <laughs> were not part of the Criterion Collection. Ooh, 
I got a, a weird sound. Sounds like we we got a hurricane coming through. Yeah. I, I think it was a motorcycle on the street outside. Sorry. Okay. Do you want to take it back just a few seconds, Aaron? Uh, sure. Um, uh, we've had some uh, episodes that have ended up on the cutting room floor for one reason or another that uh, have not been part of the Criterion Collection unless Starship Troopers <laughs> has been released in, in, in secret. Um, it's coming in this fall. Yes, uh, it, it deserves it, but uh, that's uh, that's for another time. So, Picnic at a Hanging Rock, kind of like you, John. I've, I've seen this film a few times, uh, and from what that, what I gather from just briefly talking about about the film with all of you, it's 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 a it's a difficult film to really wrap your head around. Um, I probably, the last time I saw it was like five years ago. And before I rewatched it again for this podcast and for writing about it this week, it was like the film, I like all of my recollections of the film kind of felt like a dream, which I think is fitting given how the film is made, how how the film looks and feels. I, I, I think that might influence that sort of uh, recollection that I that I have of the movie, but it, it's like I, I remember, you know, what happened in the movie. I remember mostly maybe just that the the first like 20, 30 minutes that I think are the the most famous part of the film, and we'll definitely get more into uh, here on the podcast. And Alex, I think, is is writing a, a scene analysis of the moments when the girls actually disappear, um, but I. I really couldn't really remember anything that happened after, uh, which which is kind of interesting. So re- revisiting it was good. I'm glad I watched it before talking with you all because even though we may all have some trouble trying to figure out how, what we feel about this movie, I would have been much worse off if, if I had, hadn't revisited it. <laughs> yeah, same here. It's sort of, it is like a little bit of a hazy thing that I... I I, I know I feel strongly about I, I like it a lot, but if you had asked me to recall sort of like what happens when and what happens next, like I think I'd have a hard time. I I, I might still have a hard time. I just watched it yesterday. Sarah, let's let you jump in. Um, relationship to Picnic at Hanging Rock. Um, so I used to follow a comic artist on the internet who titled her work uh, Hanging Rock Comics. Uh-huh. And I think at some point she mentioned that she has no idea why she named it that she was really young like she was still in school when she started this like site and she was like i just really like the movie picnic and hanging rock and i thought it sounded cool (laughs) (laughs) what movie is this i need to know about it um and that's just how it ended up on my to watch list and i think i finally watched it for the first time maybe just last year I know it wasn't too long ago. Like I was just like home by myself on a rainy day, and I was like, "This seems like a good day to watch Picnic and Hanging Rock." Yeah, so rewatching it, I think I probably liked it more this time around. Although I liked it the first time for sure, but it was just more of a I didn't really have like a strong visceral reaction. Like I wasn't blown away, but I also wasn't bored or uninterested in what it was doing. I was just sort of like, "Yeah, that was good." Yeah, uh, but I'm a little more interested in it this time, and I'm a little more excited to talk about it because I'm in the midst of, um, or was rather, in the midst of wrapping up a show that very much like this movie is completely uninterested in explaining its larger <laughs> questions to you. 
Yeah. Um, speaking of The Leftovers, uh, which I found out after, you know, thinking about it, I was like, oh, this movie is really reminding me of that, that Damon Lindoff, who wrote The Leftovers yeah. TV series, uh, specifically based season two on things from Picnic at Hanging Rock. Yeah, I saw which that Which I think too. is really interesting. That is really um, interesting. But anyway, <laughs> yeah, I'm actually, I'm kind of into, I'm into art that is very interested in its own agenda and not interested in explaining to me absolutely everything. I like that. So I think this will be a good, good discussion. Yeah, for sure. Um, I agree. That was one of the things that jumped out at me. I'm not uh, steeped in the leftovers personally, but um, Alex, I know you, you wrote your opening take and you recalled sort of lost and um, obviously another Damon Lindelof property and how that film kind of begins with a lot of mystery around it and kind of, as it explains more, it loses a lot of its power. And, and thinking about this film, and I know when it came out, there was a lot of consternation about the fact that it doesn't say what exactly what happened. Um, I think that it would be a totally different movie if it did, maybe not as good a movie. Do you have any sort of takes on, like, this film not resolving its mystery? And I should say, before we jump into it, like, expect spoilers from the outset so if you haven't seen this movie i think we'd all recommend you go check it out and you can come back and uh, listen to us blather on about it but um alex <laughs> sort of like the unresolved mystery element of picnic at hanging rock do you want to take that away sure i mean you know as i was watching this movie i just it, it, you know the the whole thing is while i was watching the movie i felt like i really wanted the answers and i f also felt my mind kind of trying to push people towards answers. So when you're watching the movie after the girls disappear, you know, you start, or at least I did, I started suspecting people, right? Like I started yeah, right. suspecting that kid or the ballet or even that teacher that disappears with them. Um, and, and, you know, you, you, and then the police come and they start talking to people and I was like, Oh, they're going to, they're going to resolve this thing at least a little bit. And in the end, they completely resolve nothing. And in fact, they just keep making things more mysterious. Like there's that final revelation that the, the Sarah and uh, the valet, uh, I forget what his name was, or brothers, Bernie. brother and sister, right? Yeah, right. exactly. Um, and so I just thought that um, it was great because in the end I was left kind of scratching my head, but also saying like, you know, I, I'm so conditioned to look for answers that I, I, uh, I'm always looking for them. And this movie kind of broke that in me. And, you know, by the end I'm like, oh, I should just enjoy being in the moment and being in this mystery because, you know, that's kind of what this movie is about. And it helps you get into this kind of, you know, you were talking about dreams, but it kind of helps you get into this dream logic almost. And I, I think it's a it's a position that good people put it in. So good filmmakers might get you into. So if you think about like uh, David Lynch, he does the same thing often where yeah. there's just a lot of mysterious stuff going on and it doesn't really make any logical sense. And yet you get a sense from it, like a feel. Um, that works for you in the end. And then, you know, on the other side is something like Lost, where they pile on the mystery and you go, oh, this is mysterious. But then there is like a lot of effort put in to kind of make this deep mythology. And it doesn't work because they, I don't know, there's like too much mystery at one end and then they try to explain too much at the other end. And so it just doesn't work out. So I think, I, I think it hangs around. Oh. <laughs> really? Oh, man. I, I could not stand Lost. <laughs> I loved it for like two seasons and then I was yeah, like, I'm done. I loved all of it. All of it was very good, except for that part where the writer's strike happened. We don't have to talk about that. I was there, <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> okay, well, anyway, for me, anyway, Lost was problematic where this film wasn't. Like, this film and, you know, a lot of, like, good Lynch stuff, for example, walks a tightrope that works really well. I think Lost kind of falls off on one side. I think, um, but I yeah, think, yeah, so yeah, the ending was great. I think, I think you're kind of getting at something that I was feeling as I was kind of thinking about this film, too, and preparing for this podcast is I was sort of like, okay, so this movie clearly isn't resolving much. And there's lots of movies that do resolve things that work, lots of movies that resolve things that don't work, and sort of like what's like the through line that, you know, makes a clean resolution to a mystery good or bad or the opposite, what's, uh, you know, an unresolved mystery good or bad. And I feel like this film like kind of goes out of its way in the early on to create this air of mystery that like, you know, I don't know what I was expecting the first time I saw it, but I feel like I should have known better that it was going to resolve itself because throughout it's just sort of like the whole thing is a puzzle just from the way it's it looks and sounds i mean the music is like insane and yes. just kind of the way <laughs> it's it's all put together and the way that they speak to each other and i just feel like it goes out of its way almost like david lynch to just kind of create this like unsettling bizarre mood from like the first second and it doesn't betray that and i feel like you have other movies that maybe are clearer in the way that their characters communicate and that they get from point A to point B, that they'll resolve themselves and that's still satisfying too. Um, so Aaron, the way, yeah, oh, Sarah, go ahead. I just want to jump in and say, so the way I'm talking about it in my piece for the week is that I feel like I want to make a distinction between a mystery and the mysterious yeah. because I don't see this as a mystery because I think when I think of a mystery, like mysteries can be mysterious, but it's like, I feel like when you, I'm talking about a mystery, it's like Sherlock Holmes, girl with the dragon tattoo. Like you ask the questions, you follow along, you find the answers. And then if you think that you were right all along and you had it figured out, you pat yourself on the back and say, good job, me, I did it. Yeah. Uh, but like something that's mysterious is just a lot more about like atmosphere and the kinds of questions you're supposed to ask either about what's happening or about what you think about what's happening or what you think about like the characters think about what's happening happening it's like leading you on all these other paths and it's not it's not trying to give you an answer that like that's not its purpose where i feel like the point of a mystery is to like get you to the end get you to the answer at the end mm -hmm. whereas this is more about like wandering along like ambling along on this journey yeah i think that's that's really interesting i think that you know you think of a mystery you know i'll jump to like Ag agatha christie and you're constantly searching for like who did this or why did they do it and i feel like the question I want answered from Picnic at Hanging Rock is just like, what the fuck happened? And that's not like a something that like a detective is necessarily going to like ferret out. It's more, it's just, it's larger than that. Aaron, what do you think about all this? Yeah, I think that's a really good distinction that Sarah brings. Um, because as we've all said, it, it, it doesn't, in a way, it doesn't really matter what happened. I think. It, it, I think it, it matters to the people within the film, the characters, you know, obviously everything that's happened has a resonance, uh, you know, emotionally to, you know, to the characters and, and how they have to sort of live their lives. But in terms of a philosophical sense or um, what happened is important, but a specific what happened really isn't. Um, Sarah name dropped the, the leftovers, which, 
Yeah, I mean, obviously, this influenced The Leftovers a whole bunch. I mean, the whole, most of the third season, the final season, takes place in Australia for no real reason. <laughs> but, I mean, once you kind of see where Lindelof may be, you know, thinking about this film when he's, you know, writing this, uh, the ending of this TV show, you'd see why he might want to take it there, just even if it's just a sort of a little head nod. But, um, you know, that show and, and, and by extension, the, the film, what actually happened to people, like, it isn't, it, like I said, it isn't the specifics that are important. The, the fact that it did happen is what is important. Um, and, I, yeah, I mean, I, I just can't help through from, my, from rewatching this again, just thinking of all of the, the wide variety of films, television shows, different filmmakers who this really sort of reminds me of, this film and the way it was made, the, the sort of dreamlike qualities, the, the little bit of some uh, horror elements that don't really play through. I mean, you have, so first you have this setting, right? Which is like perfect for this type of film. It's like secluded, it's naturalistic, there's you know all these creepy shots of iguanas running around these the the uh, recurring motif of these ants sort of devouring everything um these really tight close-ups um we've already said david lynch a few times but yeah i mean he's he's definitely working on this same sort of level um which is interesting because if you look at peter weir's filmography and maybe we'll get into this a little bit more if we want but uh, I think this was one of his first real breakout films. Sure, um, yeah. But he's made like a lot of just straight, like different, I mean, different stuff. I don't think like any of his films after this really feel like Picnic at Hanging Rock, which I think is kind of interesting. Um, I don't know. I don't know why that's interesting to me, but I feel like a filmmaker who is as talented as he is, when I, I mean, I, I, I've always been so interested in the, the classic tour theory, right? Like looking at a, a filmmaker's body of work and seeing the similarities through the three lines, you know, in genre or themes or, or what have you. But Peter Weir's like body of work from, from the things that I've seen are so like strangely different on the surface. Um, I, I kind of, I, I'd sort of be fascinated to, to revisit a lot of his other movies or watch some of his other movies for the first time to see if, if there are what similarities and through lines may, may exist in something like the Truman show, um, you know, which, which also has sort of a supernatural uh, bent to it, but is, I mean, completely different in its tone and, and where the film goes. Um, yeah. I, I don't know this picnic at Hanging Rock. It's, it's like, so the etherealness of it, in that setting, and then you sort of transplant this this group of young teenage girls who, I mean, they're they're basically dressed like they're angels, right? And it's a total contrast to this dangerous setting that that we're in. The like very sort of um, you know, it's it's the outback. It's it's a natural place, but it's it's full of deadly things. And it's, I, I think it's kind of a funny joke that um, at the beginning of the film, before they go on the picnic, we're basically told like, 
you know, you could fall off a cliff, you could be, you know, yeah. bitten by a snake, you could be eaten by ants, but uh, let's all go have a picnic there. It's like, <laughs> I mean, it's really the stupidest thing if you think about it's it. Playing with But fire. it totally, it totally, yeah, it totally works. Um, Is, isn't that just life in Australia? Have... Yeah, I was going to say, that's just Australia. <laughs> yeah, I mean, maybe. I, my, wife, my wife always asks if, if we should go to Australia on, on a vacation or New Zealand, and I'm like, no, they have spiders as big as your head there. You would hate it. You wouldn't <laughs> like it. I wouldn't like it. We wouldn't have fun. We would be too hot. It would be terrible. Let's go somewhere else. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe maybe this is a, a good, if she ever wants to to bring that up again, maybe showing her this film is is a good, good way to uh, to stop that. I don't know. Yeah, perhaps. Apologies, though, to our Australian listeners if you're out there. <laughs> I'm sure it's a lovely place <laughs> with nice people in addition to the head-sized spiders. Um, Just like the beach, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> uh, you kind of brought up an interesting thing, um, something I was curious about, which is the Peter Weir um, filmography and where this kind of fits into it, because... I'm not entirely sure that it does in like a neat way, at least, and that kind of giving it a glance, at least the stuff that I'm familiar with. Um, you, you mentioned the Truman Show, uh, Master and Commander, um, uh, Witness, Dead Poet Society. Like these are all films that feel to me like pretty classical um, mm-hmm. and and familiar in terms of you know, and and some of them have like sort of unique plots. Like the Truman Show is sort of a little out there in terms of its uh, its setup, but um, all these films sort of reach like a, a familiar and comfortable place, and this film uh, doesn't really at all. Uh, he's also got a movie that I'm not familiar with, but I've heard a little bit about, which is The Cars That Ate Paris. So maybe that one is closer to Picnic at Hanging Rock, <laughs> some of the other things he did earlier in his career. Um, Alex sort of like uh, did Peter Weir as a filmmaker interest you? Does do you see like elements of Picnic at Hanging Rock kind of elsewhere in his uh, in his career? So you know it's kind of interesting about Peter Weir. I was looking at his filmography before we were talking. I was like, oh, I can't believe he made all of these movies. I just hadn't thought about it in a long time. I was like, wow, these are really different movies. It's kind of like George Miller too. You know, he's yeah, right, another sure. Australian. Like it's just completely crazy. Babe happy and feet, Mad Max. Max. And <laughs> happy feet. Yeah, exactly. Um, but. Um, I have to say, I mean, with Peter Weir, I'm like the biggest fan of Master and Commander, actually. Yeah, I, I, I love, love that movie. That movie. Um, but uh, I, I think, you know, when I'm looking through this, the one that really pops out at me when I'm looking through his filmography is actually Dead Poets Society. Because even though it is like, you know, very much more classic Hollywood movie, there's something similar about it. You know, it's like boarding school, young people yeah. trying to and and and, you know, there's like a suicide in it. And um, there there is like even though there's nothing particularly mysterious about the plot of Dead Poet Society, there is that kind of those kids trying to be kind of mysterious. Right. I, I, I haven't seen it in a while, but they're like sitting around the fire in the in nature and talking about stuff unless I'm like completely imagining no, that. That's but like um, poetry to each other in a cake, you know, like all teen boys do. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I did. Yeah, I did that for sure. Um, so, you know, I, I, I see some like kind of, I don't know, maybe some potential connections there. You know, you look at things like Master and Commander and you, you see like a lot of things about, for example, the, the bigness of nature, right? Um, yeah. Which you see uh, a lot actually described in Picnic at Hanging Rock. Um, I, so, I you know, I think if you look through it, you'd find some through lines. It's just that 
you know, when I look at the filmography, there isn't a through line to his career, even though you can see his different interests popping in and out of different movies, potentially. It would be interesting to do a full sort of filmography and see where various things end up, because I, I think you'd find some stuff. It just wouldn't be so clear, like you wouldn't see the same kind of themes that you might see in, say, you know, David Lynch. <laughs> yeah, his, his last film, too, I don't know, have any of you seen The Way Back? Yeah, I've seen it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that similarly too. I mean, it's about you know some prisoners who escape you know Siberia and walk like thousands of miles to to get to India to freedom or whatever. It's it's it doesn't have the same tone, um, but similar, like you said, to Master and Commander. It's it's really about how nature can really um, can be uh, can be a uh, uh, an enemy of of man. Uh, it's not a. I don't remember it being a great film, um, or really a really good film. I don't know what you thought of it, John. But, I don't remember much um, about it. Yeah, I mean, Colin Farrell was in it. I think who I like, but um, yeah, I don't really remember much about it. But it it does have that sort of uh, similar theme to it too. Uh, one of the first things that I actually thought about writing about when I watch Picnic at Hanging Rock again was the notion of the sublime, actually, because that's kind of a philosophical notion that's associated with beauty that fits very interestingly with Hanging Rock. So the mm-hmm. sublime is kind of a philosophical concept where it's not beauty, but it's it's something where you get close to something so big and terrible and then pull back from it that it's it's like exhilarating and great to be around. Like it's it's like why you like a horror movie, for example, because even though you're not being murdered by an axe murder, you see it happen. So you get really close to it and pull back. And it's often associated with like huge natural events. Like sublime is associated with like watching a huge thunderstorm roll by or something. And I feel like just that concept of hanging rock the place is like that they get to hanging rock and they're talking about how big it is and how old it is and how dangerous it is Mm -hmm. um and we we get to watch that you know we get to watch them sit there and most of them just sort of sit around it but then these kids actually walk into it and and really do get eaten by it but to everybody else it's you know just this big mysterious thing and so you know i never ended up writing about it but but that concept of like something terrible and beautiful at the same you know something terrible and fantastic and beautiful at the same time was something that i thought was really expressed well in hanging rock something that i was kind of like driving home in my piece was that i think it's really important to remember that of the people that disappear, um, one of the girls comes back, but the teacher, the adult teacher who is literally as different from the rest of these girls as you can get, stays missing too. Mm-hmm. She's never seen again. And so I just think it's like, because it's like if it's just these beautiful angelic girls that have disappeared, it feels like it means something very different mm-hmm. than the fact that like Miss McCraw is also gone. Like she doesn't mm-hmm. come back because she's the one who isn't baffled by the scientific nature of it. She knows it better than anyone. She knows that the rock isn't hundreds of years old. It's many thousands, if not millions of years old. And then when someone, uh, Mr. Hussey, tries to agree with her, they're like, oh, yeah, that's very old. She goes, no, it's not. It's not very old in the scope of the universe, which is so much older than that. A million years is not that long ago. Like, (laughs) that's how she sees things. And then after saying all this, it's like, one of the girls, like, kind of weirdly tying them to each other, she piggybacks on that and says, a million years, you know, this rock's been waiting just for us. Yeah. Like, so she takes this very scientific thing and then flips it back around into being something romantic and strange. And I, I bet just, she would have been great at that, parties. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just think that that fits in really well with, like, 
you know, Alex talking about the sublime in this way, because it's not just the, uh, you know, oh, we don't know much about it or whatever. Oh, we only kind of know like a little bit. It's like these people that are like, like find it romantic, like the little, the girls. And then somebody that scientifically understands exactly what it is all disappearing together. Aaron, you talked a little bit about this earlier, but I want to kind of circle back to it. Um, The film as uh, sort of like a weird stepsister, let's say, of horror. And kind of where it fits into that tradition, if it does it all, if it changes it at all, and kind of what your take is, uh, what your take on it is from that perspective. Yeah, well, I I don't want to say too many specific things, I think, because I'll be writing about this and and you can see... Yeah, go read that. Um, (laughs) But, yeah, I mean, there there's it's just really striking i think because it feels like a prototype for a lot of different horror films that came after um and very different movies i mean like i think obviously there's like obvious connections to something like suspiria you have this group of girls sort of in a secluded place together uh and it's also like at a, you know takes place at a school and there's like psychological perhaps supernatural things going on um and then some of the you know some of the characters seem like pretty archetypical uh horror characters either heroines or villains i mean uh one i think one of the most interesting characters in the film is sarah who's actually the only girl who doesn't go on the picnic right um because she's she's a rude little girl who doesn't do her work um i mean there's a lot of like i got a lot of like carry vibes from her um if at some point the film you discovered like she had telepathic abilities that maybe caused what happened like I wouldn't have totally been surprised. Like it kind of feels like that could have fit in um, as one of the possibilities of what happened here. Um, yeah, and then I think just with the set, mostly just with the the, the setting, which you know calls to a lot of uh, a whole sub you know genre of horror films that are all about you know innocent people trapped in nature. I mean from like deliverance to the hills have eyes like mm, yeah you know any sort of kind of cannibal you know horror movie or cultish like a cult kind of horror movie um but then in the end it, it really kind of it, it kind of pulls back and it's not really any of those things and i think once the girls go missing which i mean happens pretty early on in the film i mean what maybe like a half an hour 45 About minutes 30 to 40 minutes in yeah yeah, and then you have, so you have a whole nother hour of sort of the aftermath of it. And if I feel like if you're looking at the film only as a horror movie, it kind of becomes disappointing because, yeah, in part because there is, like we've said, like that the, the mystery element that could be there um, isn't, I mean, it really isn't. So you don't really have a villain uh, to, to kind of hold on to in, in terms of a horror sense. Um, but I mean, there, there are so many of those elements there and, you know, and, and I feel like it has to, I I mean, it has to have, uh, been an influence to so many filmmakers who worked in horror. I mean, again, I'll bring up David Lynch, (laughs) obviously, like he, I don't, I've never, I I mean, I haven't seen if, if he's talked about this film before, but you know, he, he's got to, he's got to have an 
Must have loved it. Yeah, um, it feels like it's there. Yeah. Let's do a quick sort of round robin kind of final thoughts and anything else that we haven't addressed if you'd like to. Alex, let's start with you. I am just really glad that I had a chance to discuss this movie with you guys because it's just one of those movies where it's so much more fun to talk about than to just watch. I mean, you watch it and you have a feeling and then you try, I don't know, at least I try to intellectualize it and doing things like that is way better when you talk. So (laughs) I think uh, anyone who hasn't seen this movie should watch it. I think summer is a perfect season to watch it if you're like sitting around and it's super hot in your apartment and you have the fan on and it's night. Like it seems like just the absolute perfect time to watch this movie. So if you haven't seen it, watch it. It's great. Yeah, with a chicken salad sandwich like uh, Aaron alluded to earlier, maybe. Um, Sarah, final thoughts? Exactly. Um, Yeah, no, so something that I was kind of thinking about, especially because I was thinking about The Leftovers, um, and then obviously Lost, and just the way I feel like I'm like more primed to enjoy this kind of movie because of the way I specifically don't watch movies. Like, I know a lot of people that watch movies in TV shows and they're constantly looking for ways to figure out what's going to happen next. Like they're like searching for it. Like they're fucking Sherlock Holmes. Like, and they're going to crack the code. Like I know people that watch leftovers that way. Like that the point of leftovers was for them to somehow figure it out before the show could tell them or show them whatever it wanted to show. Oh, I mean the, the height of that. Was and I like Westworld, right? I mean, well, like, yeah, like that too, but it's just like, I don't enjoy that. Like, that is not fun to me to try and do that, to try and, like, prove that I'm, like, smarter than the book in some weird way. Like, I don't, like, it's just, it's never been fun for me. And so, like, that's just my, my brain just naturally does not go there. So it's, like, especially on this rewatch when it was, like, oh, you know, what happened to the girls? I'm, like, I don't care. Like, (laughs) I don't think the movie wants me to care. So I don't care. Like, I'm not, I, like, that is not a question I need answered. I have no burning desire, like, to try and like figure it out or guess at it. Like I just, I like to focus on what they've like presented me with. And I just think that that's like something like this where it's like, that's a necessity to kind of enjoy it. Like where if you're trying to solve it, you're just going to be super mad at the end. I feel like (laughs) because the movie doesn't give you enough information for you to be able to do that. Or as opposed to some shows, you know, that maybe they do, or, you know, they're going to give you some kind of an answer so you can say you found the clues to figure it out or whatever. You know, um, and sometimes I just think that that's like, I think it's worth, worth watching and like going in and like shutting your brain off, like, just like, just roll with it, (laughs) just roll with it and see where you end up. And like, like you said, I feel like that's how you end up at this point where like you watched it and now like all you want to do is try and like talk about it with people and try and like figure out your feelings about it and figure out like, what did they notice that you didn't notice? What was interesting to them that wasn't interesting to you and like vice versa and like, I don't know. I, I think that's just sort of my weird way to pitch, like, watching it, even if you're not sure you understand, like, <laughs> what like what you'd get out of it. Like, I feel like I feel like that's just worth it in that way. Yeah, I think that's really good advice for just kind of watching media in general, at least in my opinion. I, I, I try to take the same approach. And I think I hope that everybody who's still listening has not or has already seen it, because I feel like if you're listening to this because you just enjoy all of us, which is wonderful and we thank you, (laughs) but if you're listening to this and and haven't seen this film and now think you might want to watch it, I'm not sure, like, you're going to get the same thing out of it as if you Mm -hmm. just kind of go in with, like, as blank a slate as possible and and Mm -hmm. let it sort of wash over you. I think that's the case for a lot of movies. I think this is, like, a heightened example of that. Um, Aaron, any final thoughts from you? 
Um, sure. Yeah. Uh, like you've all said, I think this is a film you just really need to soak in. Uh, we haven't explicitly said, but it is like stunningly beautiful. Oh um, yeah. Yeah. Right. How did we not talk about that at all? <laughs> I mean, the way it's shot is we've, we've said it has a dreamlike quality. And I think that's one of the biggest contributors to that because it just has this like hazy, kind of that very 70s, like mid-70s kind of film look to it. Um, I mean, it, it, it looks like everything's a little fuzzy. It looks like you can kind of like see the like heat lines coming, you know, like a, like a evaporation happening like on the film. It's um, really beautiful. And then uh, Weir uses a lot of little kind of subtle tricks throughout of some slow motion and there's uh, a number of shots that are in flashback, which are like might be directly memories from characters um, seeing the girls. And they're just, they're like, they're both like haunting and like what I think that the term that Alex used sublime, they, they just, um, they feel like they don't really exist in any sort of, uh like world that we we live in even though it's just like maybe a, a girl like smiling at the camera it's it's just a very very different um unique quality that uh really works throughout the movie and i, I think really is is the reason to to see it um also like we said if you're looking for mystery it's you know it's not not going to be a very uh satisfying experience i think if you are doing that you might by the end of the movie start you know beating on the film like the children do to the girl that comes back just yelling you know what happened what happened yeah uh, and you're gonna have uh, similar results i think yeah i mean I, I feel like this will be a film that i'll have to revisit every once in a while because i have that feeling of what it was like but going through that experience of, of seeing the film it, it you know uh it, it's sort of uh you can't really hold on to it you know um, after you've seen it. So, uh, it's, it's a feeling that it's, it's, it's a, it's a kind of film that, that I'd like to, to vi revisit every, you know, every once in a while to get that back. Yeah, definitely. Um, I'll just close and say that the, I don't know if they still sell it this way, but the Criterion edition, um, that I got at least, uh, came with a copy of the novel, which is, I think is pretty cool. Um, nice. and I haven't read it yet. None of us have unfortunately read it, but, um, I think Alex, you said your wife has read it and it's got some interesting differences between the film adaptation, right? Yeah. Well, she was reading about it, but I think oh, it's, I see. um, okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, she didn't spend that much time on it, but, um, the spark notes. Yeah, that's basically what happened. And uh, but yeah, I think it's it's not different, but I think it's it's more uh, it's it's even weirder is the impression I get. Like it explains more, but the explanation is even stranger than what is not explained to you. So, <laughs> yeah, so it sounds like a different experience, but um, without getting into too much detail, because I don't think we need to spoil that. Uh, I'm kind of curious about some of the things you told me. So maybe I'll uh, I'll give that a, a read sometime this summer. But um, I think that's going to just about wrap things up. Uh, before we go, you can um, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Just search for The Sin Essential. And while you're there, leave us a review. We really appreciate it. Five stars will help other people discover and enjoy the show. You can also follow us on Twitter, at The Sin Essential. And like us on Facebook, uh, at The Sin Essential. And uh, we're going to be writing about Picnic at Hanging Rock this week. You can check out those pieces 
um, at the site. Um, what do you want to give us sort of like a preview for the next few weeks, Aaron? Yeah, so the next few weeks we aren't going to have a lot of actually, <laughs> um, because I will be on vacation. Right. A uh, very uh, well-deserved, well-earned vacation. I'd so, say so, yeah. Um, yeah, we'll have a couple of weeks off on the site actually, though, um, since we are going to be hitting our one-year uh, birthday or anniversary, however you want to have right. <laughs> a website. Um, yeah, so I think I'll, I'll be putting up uh, some of our favorite pieces that we've written uh, on on different films that we've covered. Uh, and then we'll be back with a very special week uh, in mid-July um, that I think hopefully should be a lot of fun. It'll be a personal week. We won't be focusing on any particular film, but maybe just talking about how film inspires us in general, um, which I think should be uh, insightful and a lot of fun. Uh, and then we'll, uh, we'll get back. We have a, we have a full slate of films coming up still uh, after, um, uh, after this break. And then uh, some good things. I think the next film we'll be covering is a very <laughs> film that might be as different from Picnic and Rockets <laughs> as possible. Uh, the Fifth Element. Um, because it's... No, I see uh, parallels. Yeah, maybe a few. <laughs> save, save those for our Fifth Element cast. Uh, yeah, they... Oh, <laughs> um, but I think that film is to, had its 20th anniversary, I think, so it should be a, a fun um, reason to revisit it, and also the filmmaker Luke Besson, his new movie, Valerian in uh, the City of a Thousand Planets, I think is the full title, uh, comes out right around when we'll be talking about the fifth element. So, and that film looks very, could be very similar, a, a very, um, what is it? A, a spiritual sequel perhaps to the fifth element. Uh, and it, I think nobody who's thinking about that film knows if it's going to be a masterpiece or a flaming <laughs> pile of garbage. Uh, <laughs> and it could be either. It could be both. It will not be in uh, between though. <laughs> yes. So uh, that should be fun. I, I think hopefully we'll have a review of, of that film up as part of our coverage for the development. Um, and we have a lot of other things coming up too. So uh, stay tuned to the website. Thank you for that. And uh, with that, for Aaron and Alex and Sarah, I'm John. And... We have to say thank you to the Hemingbirds. Oh, indeed. <laughs> our theme song, so... Half a Second, off the album, Half a Second. Thanks, boys. <laughs> thank you, as always, for that. And, uh, and that's it. We will talk to you again soon. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Bye.